There's an incredible statement that Jesus makes and recorded for us in the Gospel of John are these seven I am statements. And one of these I am statements that Jesus makes is, I am the resurrection and the life. This is one of the most incredible statements that Jesus makes in all the Gospels. And if it is true, if it's truly true that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that he conquered the grave, then for every single one of us in this place, it should literally change our lives. It's not just something to think about. I can remember, I was thinking about all the past Easter's. I don't know if you were like me, but as a kid, you know, we'd always go to church on Easter. And when I was a kid, you always dressed up for Easter. And uh, I was looking at some old Easter pictures of how my parents used to dress us up. I have a twin sister, so, you know, they would really try to dress us up. And so my parents would dress me up like a trench coat. I had a little suit on. I had a little hat working, right? I almost was going to do that today just to bring back some old memories, right? Um, you know, and just being out in the front yard, and I'd, I'd be the one. You know, in front of in front of maybe a flowering bush or whatever. If Easter wasn't in March when it was snowing out, if it was in April, and my my twin sister, my older sister, and taking pictures of us, I'd be the one messing around. Of course, all the pictures I'm always making a goofy face or whatever. But I was just thinking back as a kid, just going to all these Easter services and thinking all those years, what what does it mean, really? What what is Easter all about? And in these words of Jesus, Easter is all about Jesus's resurrection. It's all about him conquering the grave for you and I. And it just, is it just some historical fact or something that's like, oh, that's, that's neat to know. And then we go on with our lives. But I think this very fact about Jesus changes everything about history, about our lives, about who Jesus was. Because if, if indeed this is true, then this separates Jesus from every other religious figure who ever walked the face of the earth. If this fact is true, then it makes Jesus than just a mere man or a good teacher or maybe even a prophet or maybe even a healer. If this statement is true, then this actually makes Jesus God. And if Jesus is God, then he has the ability to change our lives. And I don't know about you, but I need a savior. I need someone to change my life. And if we look at our world today, it's in a mess. And our world makes so many wrong choices as every single one of us in this place have made wrong choices. Jesus came to show us the way back home, to show us, to give us a right relationship with God the Father, to show us that it's just more than him coming and giving his life and raising from the grave, which are all wonderful things. But Jesus says, listen, if you just think about those things and they just become mere knowledge and it doesn't change your heart, then you miss the whole reason of why I came. Jesus came to literally change your life and have a personal relationship with you. And so I want to dig into this verse of Jesus talking about himself being uh, this resurrection in the life. If this statement is true, it will change everything about your life and the way you live in it and everything about your future and the way you see it. So what I want to do is I want to look at the scriptures today. And we're going to look at John chapter 11 because this is where it's recorded for us. And then what I want to do is kind of look at the background of this verse because it will make more sense and hopefully it will make it more personal to your life and where you're living it today. And so what I want to look at is John chapter 11, the gospel of John, starting with verse 17 and in just a little background here. Jesus at this point is, is coming to the death of Lazarus, which is a good friend of his, Mary and Martha, sisters, and Lazarus who, who has died. And Jesus um, was coming to this funeral. 
And there's worry on Martha and Mary because they thought if Jesus would have come earlier, he could have been healed. And so here's the context of this very phrase of Jesus saying to himself that I am the resurrection and the life. So Jesus comes to comfort the sisters. And on verse 17, it says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to, uh, to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again, both immediately and eventually later on in the resurrection of the dead. Verse 24, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. And then Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Lord, I just pray this morning that you would show every single person in this place who you are. That you're, just, you're not just a mere man, a prophet or a good teacher, but indeed you are the Son of God who has come into this world. And I pray that you would reveal that to every heart here today that's searching God. I thank you, Jesus, that you are not a far-off God, that you come right into the midst of our pain and our suffering to show us how much you do love us and how much you do desire to change us and to show us the way to life. And so reveal that to each and every one of us here today as we just look into your word, we pray in Jesus' wonderful name, in Jesus' wonderful name, amen, amen. So the situation we have here is Mary and Martha are friends, and Lazarus are all friends of Jesus. Jesus knew them very well. Lazarus is sick. They call for Jesus. However, Jesus doesn't come right away, and he purposely, the scriptures tell us, he waits two days, and in that time, Lazarus actually dies. And when Jesus comes, he raises Lazarus from the dead, who has been dead for four days. And rising Lazarus from the dead would, would, would be the final public miracle of Jesus before he would go to the cross. And this miracle came just before Jesus' arrest, his trial, his death, and his resurrection. And so this miracle was done right, right before Passover when people from all over the region would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate God's great deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And the place of that miracle was in Bethany, which was only two miles east of Jerusalem. And this news of this miracle would have spread and traveled very quickly. And we would see that this would be a preview of Jesus's resurrection. And so the miracle of Lazarus was such a big event that Israel's leaders gathered together and actually wanted to kill Jesus because they were worried about how many people would follow him because this word just spread and how many people were at the funeral and actually witnessed the resurrection or, or witnessed uh, Jesus, the resurrection, raising Lazarus from the dead. And they were worried that people would put their faith in him. And so because of this, Jesus and his disciples withdrew to the wilderness for a time before they would travel back towards Jerusalem. This is what I want to focus on today. Jesus' words to Martha as she greets him are incredible. 
What Jesus says to Martha in this meeting is incredible because it's before the miracle actually happened. And this is what Jesus says to her in verses 25 and 26. Jesus says to her before he raises her brother from the dead, he says, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Before he even raises her brother from the dead, he says, do you believe what I'm telling you? So what's going on here? It would seem that Jesus at first was not alarmed. Jesus, why did you wait? If only you came earlier, you could have helped my brother. You could have healed him. Why did you wait? Have you ever felt that way? God, why didn't you come right away? God, where are you? God, I'm going through this difficult time. I'm going through this trial or this suffering. Where are you, God? Has anyone ever felt that way before like me? Am I the only one in the room? Okay, good, good. You felt that way before, right? God, why are you taking so long? I've called on you and it seems like you didn't answer me. Even Martha says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would have not died. And here Jesus explains his reasoning. If you look back at verse 4 of John chapter 11, here's what Jesus says. When Jesus heard what was going on with Lazarus, Jesus said this, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. This sickness will not end in death. And so what we see in this account is how Jesus actually loves us. At face value, it doesn't seem like it, but in reality, Jesus will show by waiting his love for them. I think this is the hardest thing for many people to understand as followers of Jesus is that why am I going through the things that I'm going through? And God, where is your love when I'm going through these difficult times? Because God, I thought you were a God of love. And, and, and how can you be a loving God if these things are happening in my life? And this is a, it's a difficult question that all of us ask at one time or another. But what I want you to see in this situation before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, what he does in this situation is actually show his love for them in a deeper and greater way. There's something deeper going on here that Jesus wanted to reveal to Martha and those that were there at the funeral. So how does God love us? Let me show how God loves us through this story. I want you to know here this morning that God does love us. But let, let, me just, let me just make this point. God doesn't love us with a sloppy love. God just doesn't love us with this sentimental love, right? Some enchanted evening when you find your true love, right? This, we, we want love to be this like, I, I want it to be this feeling that I get, right? I want to get goosebumps. Th then I know that it's love, right? But I want, you to, I want you to know something. God loves you so much more than that. That he was willing, listen, he was willing to allow those that were close to Lazarus to actually go through this pain and this suffering so that he could actually show them a deeper side of his love than they would ever experience if he would have come just days earlier to heal him. This is going to be hard to you're all watching me, so this is good. So you're, you're, you're keying in on me because this is going to help some of you here today. This is going to help you to realize how much God does love you. So there's just a couple things I want to give you this morning. 
And then I'm going to let you off into this beautiful 75 degree weather and eat your ham <laughs> or your lamb with mint. Okay, whatever, whatever, however you do it. All right. We're having ham, however you do it. Uh, but I want to just give you two quick things here. First of all, I want you to how God loves, how God loved them in this situation. First of all, I want you to see that God loves us in our suffering. God loves us in our suffering. And I want you to see how God loved Martha and Mary and the rest of those that were there that were gathered, how he loved them in their suffering. Now, verses 5 and 6 of John chapter 11 says this, and I love this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved them. He knew what they were going through. He knew that they were in pain. And Jesus could have came earlier and healed him, but he waited because he wanted them to experience his love in a deeper way because he wanted them to receive him first. See, so many times we want God just to fix our situations. God, just fix this because I don't want this. And all the while God's saying, listen, I can fix your situation, but unless you have me first your situation will never be completely fixed. You've got to receive me first. And what Jesus wanted through their suffering was for them to receive him first because that would be the greater miracle that would go on. Boy, that was a good place for an amen. But I'll amen myself. Okay, that's okay. You guys are catching on, okay? So listen, so, so he waits. Jesus knew they were hurting and they were grieving, but he waited And he wanted them to know that death would not have the final say. For those that are in Christ, death never has the final say. Death has been swallowed up through the victory of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's going to show them right before their very eyes. And see, we have this false idea that God loves us by sparing us from suffering and death. But God shows us how much he loves us by giving himself in the midst of our heart. And so this is what's so interesting. Jesus would raise Lazarus from the dead and then, and then he would revive his life, which is this huge miracle. And then in a very short time, Jesus would actually give his life on the cross for Lazarus and for Martha and for Mary and for me and for you. See, that's what Jesus has done for us. He gives us everything in himself. And he wanted Martha to say, Martha, you need me first before anything else. And so Jesus knew the only way for us to truly receive life, the only way for us to truly receive life was by him giving his life for us. The only way, the only way for us to receive life was by him giving his life for us. For us. See, when Jesus gets to Bethany, everybody's mourning. Now let me explain to you what a funeral looked like in that culture because in our culture we usually we usually maybe have a viewing maybe it's a day maybe it's two days then we will have the funeral and then we'll have the interment we have the the burial and then it's kind of over maybe one or two days well in that culture it was completely different and when Jesus arrived there was a huge crowd there and when someone died they would put them in the ground right away there was no embalming and so people would be notified and they would have this huge procession to the grave And then what happened is people would come back to the house and the mourners would stay seven days. And for seven days, they would mourn, not just mourn, but they would wail and they would wail loudly. In fact, it was tradition 
um, that they would do this because it was a sign, actually a sign of comfort. There was also these professional mourners that would come who would lead the way in mourning and wail loudly. Now, some would say, well, isn't that kind of insincere? It really wasn't. It was part of that culture, and it was part of helping people to go through the grieving process. I thought about that for a moment. Professional wailers. Professional wailers. Can you imagine if we had professional complainers? How many of us here would make a lot of money doing that, right? Can you come to my house and just complain? Like, we're such good complainers in Rochester, aren't we? Because the weather, we are the worst, right? I don't see people in Hawaii ever complaining, right? It's just the weather's great every day, right? We have a lot to complain about here. And so, so what would happen after those seven days? Um, the close friends would stay with them for 30 days and just stay with the family. Actually, I think this is, I think this is a pretty wonderful custom. There was this caring. People would come together and they would stay and they would help people through this time of mourning. And so Jesus, what he does is he comes to their house and there could have easily been hundreds of people there that are mourning because it's in this seven-day period. And so when Jesus comes, the Bible tells us that he was actually deeply moved, even to tears. See, I want you to realize that, that Jesus loved... Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he loved them. And he loves us. And Jesus feels sorrow. He's not immune to it. See, it's not a lack of faith to feel sorrow at death. It's not, it's not wrong to, to, to feel bad because, because we know that, 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 that death does sting. But we also know that there's this hope. And Jesus knew that this hurt them, that there was this separation And Jesus also knew that he could conquer that for them. But Jesus also mourned with them. Because Jesus understood that the pain and the suffering we experience in this life is a direct result of sin. Because of sin, there's death, the Bible tells us. And it separates us from a living God. And Jesus came for that very purpose to be our substitute, to take sin upon himself, to bridge the gap that separated us from a holy God because of our sin. And Jesus knew Death brought pain and sorrow and separation. But I want you to realize for a believer in Christ, underlying the suffering we must endure is the hope that Jesus conquered sin and death for us. And Jesus understood that. For a believer in Christ, underlining the suffering we must endure is the hope that Jesus conquered sin and death for us. See, I I don't want you to Equate God's love with health or wealth or material blessings. If that were the standard, then the Apostle Paul would have felt that God rejected him. Equate God's love by how he shows himself to you through your difficult times. Can I just say this for you here this morning? I believe that when we go through difficult times, it humbles us. It strips us that we're not really as in control as we think we are. And I believe it's those times, those times of sorrow, the times of death, when we feel like, man, I thought I was more in control than I thought I was. I believe it's those times that God can show up in our lives. I believe it's those times when our hearts are open that God will reveal himself to you in a real way. I believe it's in those times that the the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, can come into your life and show you and give you hope even in the midst of 
of your suffering because you know why? Our hearts are tender at that point. Our hearts are a little bit more open at that point. And we don't think we have everything as in control as we thought we did. And Jesus says, let me come in and show you how I can help you and give you hope and forgive you and heal you and give you a hope that you could never get otherwise in this world. I want to show you just a testimony here. Just I want you to look at the screen. So it's a testimony of a woman in our church who was invited to our church by a neighbor who was going through some very difficult things in their life and through trials in their life. And I want you to hear her testimony about how God helped her and showed up and revealed himself to her in a real way through her times of trial and suffering. Go ahead and look at the screen at this time. Um, Well, back in 2010, I was kind of ill, and I had to go in for surgery. I was on the operating table, you know, and they had told me, you may not make it through the surgery or or long after. And I was scared. I I had three kids. I, I I knew there was a God, and I was desperate. And so I prayed. I just said, I, I, I want, I, I was so scared that, my, that I was not going to make it and my kids were going to be alone. And they, I never told them about God. And I just, I really, I, I felt like I needed to tell them about God that I didn't know God. And so I had prayed. I said, you know, I want to I teach my kids about you. I want them to know that there's a God, but I don't know you. You know, I, I was asking him, you know, basically that, uh, Please take care of them. So I went ahead with surgery, and I, I made it. I'm, I'm here. Um, and about a month later, my my five-year-old daughter, Caitlin, um, came up to me, and she kept saying, "Mom, you promised. You promised." And I said, "I, I promised what?" She said, "You you promised you were gonna uh, teach us about God. You were gonna tell us about God." And when she said that, that struck me because I said, "Well, who told you that? Why are you saying that?" And she said, "The man in my dream told me." that you were going to teach us about God. And when she said that, right at that moment, I remembered that I had prayed in that, on that operating table when I, when I was upset, when I was scared. Um, and everything came back to me. I didn't tell anyone about that prayer. I, I didn't tell her. I, I didn't tell anybody. I knew right then and there that my prayer was heard and there really was a God. And I could not stop thinking what just happened. I couldn't just move on with my day. Um, so I ended up telling my neighbor who was walking down the street about what just happened. God's real. Somebody's got to know he's real. This just happened, you know. And he kept saying, praise God, praise God. And I said, I don't know what that means. What do you mean, praise God? So he invited me here to the church, Living Word. Um, this was about seven years ago. Um, and I came. And from the very first moment I came, when Pastor Barton, he was preaching on the book of John. He had just started the book of John. And it was the very first time I understood the Bible. Like immediately, I understood it. And so from that moment on, I started bringing my kids. I got baptized, I think six months later. My daughter got baptized. My son got baptized. And from that moment on, my entire life changed. I had to trust him a lot with um, one, of my, one of my sons. Um, there was a time where my son left the state and went to Las Vegas. He was about 13. It came to a point where I literally had to fly. I had to fly out to Las Vegas to get him. They were holding him in a, um, a child home because they had found him. Then um, I, I didn't have the finances to go. I didn't know what I was going to do when I got there. Um, 
So that, I, I really, was, I really, really needed help. And I, I prayed a lot on that. And it just came to a point, um, I remembered a scripture, the very first scripture I had learned when I, when I started coming to church. And that was um, Proverbs 3, 5, 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. So I remembered that and, you know, I take his word for what it says. And he's, you know, he says, trust, trust in me. You don't lean on your own understanding because this doesn't make sense to me. So I took that and I said, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to trust you. I don't know how I'm going to get out there. I don't know how I'm getting home. I don't know how I'm going to get him, but I'm going to trust you. You're, you're faithful and true. And another scripture that I really held on to um, that he gave me was, I will never leave you or forsake you. So I knew that if I, I was going, he was coming with me because he had promised that. So I took those two, two and I held on to those. And I was able to get um, enough money to make a one-way trip out there with my mom. She came too. Um, and since being out there, just step, it was literally step by step. We couldn't rent a car. We didn't have the finances to do that. Uh, again, I, on spot, you know, praying, you know, Lord help, what are we going to do? And my mom remembered that she had an old friend from like 20 years ago that she had totally forgot about. And she said, oh my goodness, let me call them up and see if they still live here. They came, they you know, helped us get a hotel. They dr literally drove us to go pick up my son. Um, I knew that, again, God was there. He showed up. And we still didn't have a, um, a ticket home though. So that was another another problem where I had to you know, pray and Lord, you know, we need, we need help going home. Um, and that came through uh, another agency that actually called me. It was the Missing Children's Agency. and called and said, you know, I spoke with you about a week ago. We told you we couldn't help you, but I want to let you know that we're able to help you now. And I said, perfect, because we don't have a way home. So they did. They got us tickets, and we came home. So that whole trip, I'm glad that I trusted in the Lord, because I don't know where my son would have been. I had no other hope. I had no other hope. There was no, there was nobody that could help me. He, he was faithful. He was faithful in sending me out there and bringing me back and just supplying everything. It wasn't mapped out. That's the thing. He didn't map everything out and say, okay, you're going to go A, B, C, and then check in with me here. It wasn't like that. I, I literally, when I got out there, it was step to step. Here's the last thing I want to share with you, and, and it fits so well with Claire's testimony, is that not only does God want to show up in your suffering, but here's the thing that, that Jesus wanted to do for Martha. I want you to know this is how God loves you, and this is how God loved Martha, is that God loves us by giving himself for us. See, he wanted, he wanted Martha not, not to just put the trust in the sign and... and put her trust in, in that, that God was going to raise her brother from the dead. Because how many know that we can see things and then we forget about it a week later? But Jesus knew that if Martha trusted him, that would last forever. You see, the children in the, in the wilderness, when God took them out through the leadership of Moses and he, he parted the Red Sea, did these great miracles before them, but it was interesting, once they got in the wilderness, they just forgot about God's power and they would turn back and their hearts would get hardened. See, the greatest thing that God could ever do for you is, is give you himself. And so Jesus comes to Mary Martha's house. 
into the grief, into the suffering before he raises lives from the dead and Jesus first shares in their grief. And as strange as this may sound, we can experience a deeper sense of God's love even in our suffering. And here's the reason why. If we never experienced pain, we would lose our need for Christ to come into our pain, into our experience, and to understand his love. We would never experience this newness, newness of life. How many of you, even in the midst of your pain or in your darkness or your situation, you experienced this love of Christ and this peace of Christ that you never thought could ever exist? You felt the peace of Christ and the love of Christ. And what you actually experienced was the risen Christ. Listen, I want you to understand something this morning. You didn't experience that by God first taking away the pain. You experienced that by God first giving himself to you. And that's what God does for Martha. That's what God does for the people at, at the funeral. Martha meets Jesus before he comes to the house. And this conversation amazes me. Jesus asks her before he raises her brother from the grave. He says to her, Martha, listen. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though they die, they will live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Martha, Martha, do you believe this? And so in her pain, he asked her, do you believe? Do you believe in me? Not this head knowledge, but this saving faith. Do you really believe? I believe people will miss heaven by 18 inches. A lot of people say they believe in God. The Bible says even demons say that. But do you really believe? Do you believe that he can come into your situation in the midst of where you are today? Do you really believe that he can change you and change your heart? See, here's where we get it wrong. We get it wrong. We say, Jesus, I'll believe only after I see. You see, Jesus has this conversation with one of his disciples, Thomas. And Thomas said after, the, a, after Jesus rose from the grave, Thomas says, I'm not going to believe it until I see it, until I see the, the, the nail prints in his hands and his feet. I'm not going to believe. And then Jesus shows up and shows him. And Thomas goes, my Lord and my God, I can't believe it's you. It's really you. And he says, Thomas, blessed are you because you've seen me, but blessed are those who still believe me who have not seen me. That takes faith. See, true saving faith is not trusting in signs. True saving faith is putting your belief and trusting in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who is God. That's what true saving faith is. See, Jesus didn't want Martha to trust the sign of the miracle, even though he was going to do that for her. He wanted first for her to trust him. And there are many there who witnessed for themselves the signs of Jesus, yet still didn't believe him. But I want you to realize that all the signs that Jesus performed, the miracles that he performed, just authenticated who he was. See, here's saving faith. Before the miracle... Martha's confession is this, before the miracle. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, that you are the Son of God who has come into the world. She put her faith in Jesus before he did the miracle. And many people 
questioned Jesus' love because he waited, but it was because of love that he waited. He wanted to give her himself. You see, the Greeks would describe their God by using this word, apatheia. It's basically two words. A means without, pathos means suffering or passion. So if you transliterate that into English, it means apathetic. The Greek gods were apathetic, with no feeling. Basically, their gods had no feeling, no emotion, no ability to have compassion or care. But here we have our God, Jesus, who felt the pain of everyone in that place with tears and emotions. Jesus cried. And if Jesus cried, it's okay to let your emotions show when you are moved. That never happens to me, by the way. (laughs) See, those seeing Jesus cry said, Wow, the scriptures say, wow, he must really love them. So I want you to understand that Jesus is real. He understands us and he cares for us. And the best thing that Jesus could ever do for you is to give you himself, even in the midst of your pain and suffering, to show you that he indeed is real. I love Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16 because it describes the type of person Jesus is. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, Jesus didn't come to make you feel more guilty to push you deeper in your cave of guilt and regret and condemnation. How many know that? Listen, the last place I want to do is come to a place and come to church and just feel more guilty and more condemned, right? I can get that in a lot of other places than coming to church, right? That's not Jesus' purpose coming. In fact, Jesus' purpose coming was to actually set you free, to actually pull you out of the grave, to pull you out of a lifeless situation, to pull you out of that cave and to say, listen, I know what you've done. I know your secrets. I know your life. We're all messed up. We're all dysfunctional, but I've come to take that on myself. That's how much he loves you. And so here's what the resurrection does. It takes dead, lifeless things and makes them new again. He takes all our messed up stuff and he redeems it and he forgives us and he saves us. See, the cross looked like such a defeat It looked like man had stripped Jesus of everything. And God says, watch what I'll do with this. You think it's a defeat, but I'm going to use it for victory. I'm going to use my son as my perfect sacrifice for you and I. And what the world thought was just messed up and a defeat. And how could God do that? God used it as his greatest victory. And so what God does is he uses all our defeats, our pains, our suffering, and he uses it for his victory and for his glory to say, look what I do with messed up people. That's what makes church so beautiful. Church is not about fixing yourself up first. How many of you, when you go to the hospital, you fix yourself up first? You go bloody and bandaged and fix me up. I need help, right? Church should be a hospital where we come broken and hurting and we say, Jesus, I need you to fix me up. I'm lost. That's what church should be. That's why Jesus came. Let me finish with this. I love what Josh McDowell says here. Great author, great writer. He says this. Boy, this just puts the resurrection in such good light. No matter how 
devastating our struggles, disappointments, and troubles are, they are only temporary. No matter what happens to you, no matter the depth of tragedy or pain you face, no matter how death stalks you and your loved ones, the resurrection promises you a future of immeasurable good. The hope we have today, people, is that Jesus conquered the grave. That he says, you will face tribulation in this world, but take heart, take hope, Jesus says in John 16, 33. I've overcome for you. And so here's the thing I want to tell you today. Some of you are either looking for a sign, you're looking for writing in the sky, you're looking for Jesus to text you, to IM you, to Facebook you, to Instagram you, to Snapchat you. Can I just say this? Ain't going to happen. Stop looking for signs. What Jesus says is, if you allow me to come right into your messiness, into your pain, your suffering, you will find me. You will find me. And I will be right there for you. And I will help you receive me. And that's what he did for Martha. So I want you to bow your heads with me. And I want to pray for you today because there may be some of you in this place today that just say, Pastor, that is me today. And um, man, I, I just need Jesus to come into my life, into my situation, into my messiness. And I want to invite him in today. So as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I just want to pray with you just before we finish. We're just going to, and with just celebrating in song about what Jesus has done for us. But this is just a sacred moment just between you and the Lord. How many would you just say by the raised hand, Pastor Barn, pray for me. That's me. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. That's me today. I just need Jesus to come into my situation today. Just raise your hand up high. I'm not going to embarrass you. It's just between you and the Lord. Great. Great. Amen. Good stuff. God sees your heart. Best thing you've ever done. The best thing you ever do. Lord, I thank you for these that have been so bold to say, I need Jesus. Jesus, thank you for waiting in the situation with Lazarus because you showed us how deep your love truly is. That you wanted Martha to know you more than anything else. And I pray, God, even in our pain right now, as hard as it is, that you would come and that we would know you. We invite you into our lives. We ask you to come. We bow before you and who you are, that you are perfect, that you are the Son of God, just like Martha's confession. There's no other way except through Jesus Christ. And so we come to you and we bow before your Lordship and we say we need you. So I pray you touch every heart here today. Thank you, God, for the openness. God, thank you for receiving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us today. Thank you for doing everything for us that we could not do for ourselves. So we just give you the glory today. In Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Let's